the Scripture Study Project, a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. We are back today after a week's break and a happy general conference. Yeah, an awesome general conference. We're ending Third Nephi today. Heading in, heading into the end of the Book of Mormon, so we're we are looking forward to studying these chapters. Um, so we're on episode forty-two, studying Third Nephi chapters twenty-six through thirty. Our study tip today actually comes from quite a few people that have submitted questions like this. Um, I think you had one just recently from yeah, and I we've probably addressed it briefly in a couple earlier earlier episodes. I think in the first within the first ten episodes, um, but this is. From the royalbeehive.com named Stephanie, one of our listeners sent in this comment. Um, she says that she has been following along with our podcasts and just catching up from the beginning, and she loves them so much. Thank you, Stephanie, for listening. She says, just wondering if you've done special podcasts on teaching our children. We have, we've got a couple comments about the same thing, and especially with our study tips. I know we've mentioned a few times, like, when you teach kids this, but this has been a topic that has been heavy on our minds um, and something that we really wanted to share. So over the next few episodes, we're going to speak specifically on study tips um, on teaching kids. And in fact, not to, to spoil uh, next year too much, but we're going to do some things with the podcast next year. Uh, that will be right up this alley, more geared towards studying individually on your own, but teaching your children, teaching family, teaching others. Um, so we've got well, a lot coming on this. Yeah, because I have to say that that was, I think, for us one of you know that home. Oh, I'm going to say it wrong. Home-centered home church. church supported. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that that really got us excited. That's kind of been our mission statement with our our introduction. We say it every time with our podcast, so that we can kind of remember. That's what we're doing. We want you to have an awesome study of the scriptures to get that excitement and help you teach others. And so we're excited to be able to hopefully provide an extra resource for you um, this year with the Book of Mormon, also next year too. You probably noticed this already, but the Come Follow Me manuals for Sunday school, for primary uh, for young men and young women, and the new, well, those are new as well, but the new one, the real new one for individuals and families are online and up at uh, on the, your Gospel Library app. You can The entire New Testament manual for individuals and families is there. And if you look at the lessons, it gives a section in each lesson for ideas on how to teach that particular scripture block to young children. So the entire manual is an answer to this question filled with ideas on how we can teach children and how we can engage them in the scriptures. But one of the things as I thought about this that we have have kind of modeled throughout this podcast and will continue to do that I think is a great tip to point out in teaching children the scriptures is we all want our children to be excited about the scriptures. We want them to be passionate about it. We want them to be engaged. However, a teacher I teach with today made this comment that even though he has grown to love history, uh, he was talking about church history, grown to love church history or grown to love the stories and the scriptures, students don't. There's not an innate or inherent um, interest in stories and scripture stories. For them, it's something that happened thousands of years ago. I'll never forget a student that told me when I asked the class, 
hey guys, how come we're not as excited today and not as involved today? A very kind of sassy but very brave student said, we don't care about anything you're saying. We don't care about any of these people. They live thousands of years ago. Unless you can tell me what this has to do with me, I don't care. And so the study tip or the teaching tip is at the very beginning of any lesson, no matter who you're teaching, no matter where you're teaching, you as the teacher have to wrestle with the idea of why does this matter? And that has to become immediately understandable to those that you're teaching within the first minute or two. And should I add in, not why does that matter to you, but to the student? Yes. I'm sure that yeah. was implied, but that's an important thing. The things that matter to you in the scripture and look at your audience too. It's going to be different what matters to your eight-year-old at home versus your teenage Sunday school class. Right. What matters to that that person that you're talking to? We've been thinking and talking a lot about this, and one of the scriptures that's circled around in our discussion is uh, Psalm 119, 105, which is a very famous uh, phrase, but thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I've grown to really like that verse because I think it frames scriptures in their proper perspective. A lot of times we view scripture study as the end result. I need to study my scriptures. And we think that scripture study means I need to learn more about the scriptures. But the scriptures were never meant to be an ends. They're meant to be a means to light our path or put a lamp to our feet. In other words, to show us where we're going, i.e. to show us who God is and what he's like and and what his kingdom is like and what we can eventually become to be like him and to guide our path or our footsteps towards him. So to help uh, to teach children the scriptures is to have clear in your mind the idea that this scripture story the goal isn't just to understand the story better. The, the goal is to see how this story can help my children uh, get along better with their siblings or get along better with friends at school or uh, make new friends at school or feel happier in their life or with older kids, um, how they can manage uh sadness or disappointment or doubt or even depression or anxiety. The scriptures are an incredible means to help us reach these wonderful ends. They're not an ends in and of themselves. And I think if we can teach our children or, or if we can view it that way and help our children see that that's how we view scriptures, then the scriptures become immediately relevant. Today's scripture study is going to help solve a problem in your life. And that's going to happen every time we open the book. Yeah. And we talk about... Um ministering to the one or teaching to the one or really thinking about the one. And that's how Christ always taught was to the one. Um, and I think that's why it makes it so much more important that we are really prayerful about in our teaching and really become getting to know the students that we're teaching yeah. so that we can discern what they need. Yeah. It was a long tip and there'll be much more to come on that, but hopefully that gives just a glimpse of of what we can do to help teach our children. And we're going to actually do a series of these kinds of study tips and teaching tips over the next couple of episodes to round out this episode or this season of the Scripture Study Project. So there you go. Okay, we want to spend a majority of our time today in 3 Nephi 28. But before we do, we both kind of found the same thing in chapter 27, um, thinking of President Nelson's very clear and almost... Uh, 
I don't know, correction, rebuke. Yeah, I think it's been a while since it's felt that way where it was like, hey, we need to shape up. And it was kind of I another practical, very practical thing that he gave us to think about and to do. And here we have the scriptures that he read in, in his in his talk. It was the Sunday the last talk in Sunday afternoon, general conference. You have this account in 3 Nephi 27, uh, verse 3, where the apostles come to him and ask what they should name the church. And he then that there's disagreements. And President Nelson hinted at those, that he's received some feedback on this name uh, reiteration that, hey, we have this whole Mormon brand out there, and we've got a lot of things. The whole world refers to us as Mormons. There's Mormon studies and... Um, Mormon newsroom and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and all of these Mormon things. And so there's a lot of disputations and feedback. And he was very clear to say, this is the mind and will of the Lord. And the reason I think, one of the reasons he can be so confident in that, besides that he's a prophet and can receive that kind of revelation, is that the Savior himself emphasized it. So this is uh, verse 5. In chapter 27. In chapter 27. Have they not read the scriptures? which say you must take upon you the name of Christ. Verse 7, Therefore, whatsoever you shall do, you shall do it in my name. Therefore, you shall call the church in my name, and you shall call upon the Father in my name, that he will bless the church for my sake. And then President Nelson read verse 8, the one that says if it's Moses' church, it'll be called in Moses' name, or if it's man's church, it'll be called in the man's name. But if it's called in my name, then it is my church, if it so be that they are built upon my gospel. So we both just kind of liked that and liked the the clarity and the emphasis that President Nelson gave that in conference. Okay, I'm going to tell a lame joke. These are the kind of jokes that, uh, in fact, I think I told this joke to our kids a little while ago and they laughed really hard at it. I'm sure they did. They laugh. That's, that's why you have kids because then they can laugh at all of your dumb stuff. I try that Your sometimes. wife doesn't want to laugh at I anymore. Pretend. <laughs> so... A blonde, a brunette, and a redhead are stranded on a deserted island. And as they're looking around foraging for food, they unearth a lamp. And as they dust it off, a genie pops out of the lamp and says, I have three wishes to grant. There are three of you. You each get a wish. And so first he goes to the redhead and says, what do you wish? And she thinks, boy, wish, wish. I wish I was in Disneyland right now. Poof, she disappears. Then the genie goes to the brunette, says, what do you wish? And she says, wish, man, I wish I was in Hawaii right now. Poof, she's in Hawaii. Then he goes to the blonde and he says, you too have one wish. And she goes, I get a wish? Man, I wish my friends were here to see this. (laughs) That joke is even better when our three-year-old tells it. (laughs) Because it's pretty awesome. They might That's not, a good joke. They might not have heard what you said because they were laughing so much. So hard. Hey. So we should probably wait. And we can tell blonde jokes because we're all blonde. We're blonde. Yeah. I always tell my kids that. <laughs> You're entitled to tell the jokes. Anyway, lame joke and maybe a lame way to go into this. However, in chapter 28, verse 1, the Savior turns to these 12 apostles. In chapter 27, he gave them a question, a chance to ask the question. And now... It says, as he spake these words, he said to his disciples, one by one, which I love that phrase, it showed up over and over in 3 Nephi, Mm -hmm. saying unto them, what is it that you desire of me after I am gone to the Father? 
the irreverent way to say this is, if you had one wish, what would it be? If I could grant you anything, what would you want me to give you? Now, nine of the 12 say to him that they, um, we desire that after we have lived under the age of man, this is verse two, that our ministry wherein thou hast called us may have an end and that we may speedily come unto thee in thy kingdom. And he said unto them, blessed are you because you desired this thing of me. Therefore, I'll give it unto you. When you've lived to be the age of a man, you'll, you'll come and live with me in my kingdom. However, there's the three that are held back and they're cautious, they're afraid even to ask him. But of course, he discerns their thoughts and he says, I know what you want. You want what my apostle John wanted, which is to stay on the earth until the second coming. And he calls their desire more blessed. And I always had a question about that um, until just this last time through the Book of Mormon because I thought that to me seems like kind of a more selfish desire, right? I want to I want to not die. I want to live forever. Isn't that more, isn't that selfish? Um, but the Savior explains in verse 9 why it is that that desire is a more blessed desire. He says, You shall not have pain while you shall dwell in the flesh, neither sorrow, save it be for the sins of the world. And all this will I do because of the thing which you have desired of me. And then here comes, he names what their desire is. For you have desired that you might bring the souls of men unto me while the world shall stand. Their desire was not just to live forever. Their ultimate desire was to continue their work of bringing souls to Christ because that had provided them so much happiness in their life. They wanted to continue bringing others to Christ so they could taste of that happiness. That's what's more blessed. And I think that's a desire that's not unfamiliar to us. We desire the same thing, to bring our families to Christ, to bring others to Christ, to help other people feel what we feel and, and be as happy about it as we are. Well, and I think in verse 10, it says, And for this cause ye shall have fullness of joy. And I just noticed that statement because I think that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And this is the joy that they can experience because it's not the joy or the the good life, the happiness. Sometimes that joy is, I think, really tricky because mm -hmm. people think they need to have this certain quota of joy in their life. But I like that he says the fullness of joy comes as they are doing his work, essentially. So that is how we're filled up with joy is when we're, we're doing what he desire when, when we're doing his work i guess is yeah, the best way yeah. to say that when you're aligned with him mm -hmm. well this desire is given a name in third nephi and this is where we want to focus our time if you go to verse 16 and 18 and 26 there's a word repeated in each of those verses where mormon describes what it is that these three nephites do and you'll catch the word right off the bat because it's the hot word in the church these days Verse 16, it came to pass that they did again minister upon the face of the earth. Verse 18, uh, this much I know, according to the record which hath been given, they did go forth upon the face of the land and did minister unto all people. And then verse 26, behold, I have seen them, says Mormon, and they have ministered unto me. 
their desire was simply to minister. And I love the definition of ministry. It's to bring souls to Christ. Um, that, of course, was a hallmark of the April General Conference. And again, this October General Conference, there were lots of talks, lots of discussions, and we're waiting just like you for them to show up on Gospel Library so we can uh, read them and study them and listen to them. Um, but the whole emphasis of the church nowadays seems to be ministering. How can we, with this new home-centered, church-supported study, how can we bring our children or how can we help bring each other closer to Christ? And then ministering companionships. How can we bring others, other families to Christ? And so what we want to talk about in this episode is how do we how do we do it? Um, we have the revelation now. We have the freedom and the direction to, to minister. Um, and I think we're all kind of wrestling to try and figure out what it looks like and, and what it feels like. And so our episode today will hopefully help you and help us figure this out. How can we do just a, how can we minister the way that maybe these three Nephites did in a way that's more blessed and brings people to the Savior? Well, I'll point out maybe the first point, because I think this, again, goes right along with conference and President Nelson was um, in the women's conference as he offered, um, gave us the challenge of reading the Book of Mormon and the fast from social media and all of those things, um, the challenges that he gave us, as well as the youth a few months ago. If you will remember, they had a very similar challenge. Um, and it was all because we were engaging in a work together. Mm. So we talk about that the three Nephites had a work to do. And here essentially, like we're saying, this is it. In verse 29, um, and it shall come to pass when the Lord seeth fit in his wisdom that they shall minister unto all the scattered tribes of Israel and unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, and shall bring out of them unto Jesus many souls, and that their desire may be fulfilled and also because of the convincing power of God which is in them. Cool so that that gathering that is happening, and, and I feel that from President Nelson. I don't think I even need to fill it. He says it, mm -hmm. but, but that's what it's about. We are supposed to disengage from distractions in order to minister and do his work so that we can have that fullness of joy that he is hoping that we will come to this work. He's challenging us to be a part of it because it's happening and it's there. And ah, president Nelson is, Oh, he's with it. He knows that it's he's seeing it, and he wants us to be involved in the work. It was interesting in, uh, so today's Monday, the Monday after general conference. Uh, this episode won't be posted until next Monday, but one of the themes that emerged today as we uh, discuss this with students, discuss general conference with students, is the thing they were most excited about is that we've got a two-hour church now. And, yeah, of course. and one of the things that we talked about <laughs> as a, as a faculty that we wanted to help students see is uh, this, just like ministering before, Elder Holland, when he explained ministering, was very clear. We're not asking people to do less. In fact, we're asking them to do more. Ministering done right is more, more effort, more heart. Uh, more service, more love, more kindness than home teaching or visiting teaching. I'm going to add something to that is more ownership mm. because I feel like ministering is really uniting us with the greater Christian world. Mm -hmm. They talk about it as their personal ministry. Their, you know, their way of being involved in the gospel is 
their quote unquote personal ministry. And I really like that because I think it gives it a lot of ownership. And on I think our, it's on ourselves. I think it's the same thing with the two-hour church. This shouldn't be viewed as, yay, now there's less time on Sunday focused on churchy things, more time to watch, you know, whatever on TV or uh, I think if we're listening carefully, this is now more. It's just more on our shoulders, more ownership, more responsibility for our own gospel learning and gospel living. And so, um I I I love this this peeling back of of uh the laws of our modern day laws of moses you know check the box make sure you visit your family's monthly three meetings in church we're peeling back those things so that we can really start honing in on what it means to minister what it means to worship what it means to study by faith and i think uh i think we're getting closer and and so this is exciting i love i love what you're saying one of the verses I really liked was in verse 18. This much I know, according to the record which hath been given, they did go forth upon the face of the land and did minister unto all people, uniting as many to the church as would believe in their preaching, baptizing them, and as many as were baptized did receive the Holy Ghost. I love the idea that ministry is an act of uniting, um, uniting with other people, uniting with other people in a common cause, and if possible, uniting with other people in the common cause of Christ. And I think there's a lot of ownership we can take in that. Elder Bednar in conference gave a talk that I need to study again because it went way over my head. But the message I gleaned from it was his repeated emphasis that we are to gather, or that the Lord is gathering all things together in one in Christ. And I've spent a lot of of time over the past year studying what it means to gather, to gather together, and to gather together in the name of Christ. And I think the three kind of practices for us in our ministering is we need to be better at gathering. We need to be more open. We need to be more friendly. We need to be more neighborly. We need to be out there with people more often than we are if we're to minister. Um, That's gathering. Gathering together is we've got to find common ground. As we're talking with neighbors, as we're meeting people, whether they're of our faith or not, we need to find common ground. And there needs to be more effort on our part in understanding and knowing where other people are coming from, what they believe and what they value and what they cherish. And then, of course, gathering together all things together in one in Christ is that, if possible, can we can we focus on our community in Christ? And I think this is one of the great benefits of President Nelson's reemphasis of the name of the church is that we are the church of Jesus Christ. And that's something we have in common with a lot of people, whether they're of our faith or not. Whether they're actively coming to church or not, there's probably a seed somewhere in their heart that ties them back to God and to Christ. And so can we do better at ministering to those, whether they're your bishop down the street that you're assigned to minister to or someone that hasn't been to church in 15 years? Can we gather with them, get to know them? Can we gather together, find some common ground? And can we gather together all things together in Christ? Can we can we find some common ground where we can talk about our Savior and maybe expand our mutual testimonies of Him? Yeah, and isn't that essentially what it is? I feel like with with these with the name emphasis is you know, we're Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a great solution to yeah. to what we should call when ourselves. People ask you, "What do you? What, what are you?" You say, "I'm I'm Christian. I'm a Christian." I think that's the answer. And people have wondered, "What do I say? Am I a member of the Church of Christ of Latter Saints?" It gets really wordy. Yeah. What do you replace Mormon with? You replace with Christian. 
I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. Yeah. And then, oh, where's your congregation? Right. Right over here. Right, right. <laughs> I like that. Now we're looking in verses, starting in verse 25. Behold, I was about to write the names of those who were to never taste of death, but the Lord forbade. Therefore, I write them not, for they are hid from the world. So we don't even know who these great exemplary ministers are. Um, Though, pause real quick. Do you remember we saw them at Costco once? Wait. We were at Costco once. We were were pretty newly married, and we had gone in without a shopping cart. And so we had loaded up our arms, all the stuff, and we're in the back of Costco. I do not remember this. And some sweet old guy pushes a cart up behind us, an empty cart, and he says, here, you guys look like you need a cart. And so we put all our stuff in the cart, and we turn around to say, thank you, and he's gone. See, the funny thing is, oh, this is so bad. I picture, like, um, all of the pictures that we see of what they look like, like the Nephites. That's mm. what I picture, like, walking around. Uh-huh. Isn't that horrible? <laughs> Nope, nope. He's just a nice old guy at Costco. <laughs> nice old guy. So anyway, sorry. Wow, that is We don't see, know who they are. You were min- saying we don't know who they are. <laughs> Ministering. <laughs> and that is how you minister. Be the hidden, the hidden invinc- cart pusher. invisible part cart man at Costco. <laughs> anyway, okay. So and it also it continues on verse twenty six or twenty seven and behold they will be among the Gentiles they'll be among the Jews and none of no no one will know them. Um, we just I just thought this part was interesting because no one knows who they are, and that's kind of what ministers do. True ministry is it's not about rec- you. Yeah, it's without recognition. What a great example of that that they. You know, even Mormon knew who they were, but he he didn't write it down. And We've got some great heroes in the Book of Mormon, but perhaps none as great as these three Nephites who are still on the earth today ministering. So they've been doing this for 2,000 plus years, and we don't have any record of them. We don't know anything they've done. Uh, we know some small things, but uh, they have a couple of pages devoted to them in Scripture, and that's it. I wonder if they have a social media page. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I love I love that idea. I do too. I think that's just a good example. Well, to end, um, the word that Mormon uses once to describe what happens to these three Nephites is transfigured. Their body was transfigured or tw- changed in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, but in verses 37, 38, and 39 is the one I'll read. Uh, he uses a word that I like better. Um, 37. Behold, since I wrote, I have inquired of the Lord, and he hath made manifest unto me that there must needs be a change wrought upon their bodies, or else it needs be that they must taste death. Therefore, that they might not taste of death, there was a change wrought upon their bodies. Verse 29, this change was not equal to that which will take place the last day, but there was a change wrought upon them insomuch that Satan could have no power over them, that he could not tempt them, and they were sanctified in the flesh, that they were holy and that the powers of the earth could not hold them. I love the idea that if we pray, if we ask God, he will change us. If he came to you today and said, I'll, I'll grant you whatever you wish, if the deepest desire of our heart is, Lord, would you please change me? Change me so that I can do your work. Change me so that I can not be as tempted by Satan or not held by the powers of the world. Can you change me? 
Now, he may not transfigure you into someone that won't die until the second coming, but I fully believe that he can change hearts, he can change habits, he can change minds, feelings, behaviors, attitudes, perspectives. He can do that. I think at the heart of true ministry is this change. Ministering is an action, but I think it's an action based on a changed heart. True ministers serve out of their own changed and converted heart. And so as you seek to minister to whoever it is you're ministering to, you might begin first by asking the Lord to change you. Well, thank you for being here with us and studying in 3 Nephi today. Um, We just want to say thanks for listening and supporting us in our project here with our scripture study project. Next week's 4th Nephi, so study ahead. Uh, Let us know in comments what your favorite moments were from General Conference or what connections you saw from conference and ministry. We'd love to learn from you any additional insights you have on how we can minister better. See you next week. Later. Adios. Goodbye.